Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One day in the pub, Seb and Verity were socialising with hilarity. They knew there and then that their options were vast. They bought some equipment and made a podcast. What do you think you are doing, you twits? It's cliched and obvious, you know. Massive delay. Is there? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, oh, good. This will make for out. natural conversation then. Yeah. Come on <laughs> <Good>. then. <laughs> <laughs> let's try it out. Let's start the show and see what happens. Great. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. If you're ready, here we go. Yeah. Three, two, one. You couldn't hit. You couldn't tell what a massive gap that was. But, uh, <laughs> I couldn't hear that. <laughs> anyway, let's let's continue. Hello, hello. Oh, let's start again because I sound mental. <laughs> hello, hi. My name is Seb Philpot, and my name is Verity Simmons, and this is Three in a Bar. Where hey, it is Three in a Bar, and this is the show where every week we chat to a different musical guest. And sometimes we talk to brass players. Sometimes we mm. talk to um, journalists. Sometimes we talk to <laughs> pop stars. Brass players or to... journalists. <laughs> <laughs> We're quite niche. <laughs> String players occasionally. Players that edit magazines. Uh, we actually <laughs> yeah. we haven't done that. We haven't done that. That would be a win, though. Yet. Let's try. That would be good. Actually, we <laughs> yeah. did. Didn't we talk to Amos Miller? Didn't he? Doesn't he? Yeah. Does I he think edit he does a magazine? Run a magazine. Oh, well, there we go. Then we have ticked all boxes. (laughs) Uh, What else? We talked to uh, string players. We've talked to a lot of string players, haven't we? Loads. We've talked to tour managers. Yes. We've talked to, what are the other families of the the orchestra? I was going to say comedian, not a family of the orchestra, but comedian slash singer. Musical comedians. We've talked to those. (laughs) We've talked to actual pop stars that have had number one Christmas Christmas singles. I mean, just, just one of them. Well, well, we talked to other <laughs> We've got the whole spectrum. It's so lovely. Anyway, oh, Seb, you've this, frozen. This is the first, isn't it? You've frozen. I'm ways. so sorry. Oh, <laughs> I carried on talking okay. and then, and then you, you, you went <laughs> like that like really fast <laughs> from my end. No, I did that here as well. That just, was just me speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was going to say, what yes. I started to say was that um, it's a first in many ways. We've got... Um, 
I listed some of the people we've had before. Now <laughs> I've gone unstable again, haven't I? I can just see You're very face. unstable. I just thought I'd ride it out. Did you see? I was just trying to sort of sit it you out until you out. came back. I was riding it out by just talking and talking. This is getting unlistenable Keep it up. For, the, That's great. for the listeners, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is yeah. it's our first woodwind person, but <gasps> also our first kayaker. Kayaker. <laughs> oh, my God. We thought we got peak um, niche superhero when we found Dr. Arun Menon, doctor slash viola player. But this is a bassoonist slash parakayaker, and her name is Klinos Owen. Woohoo! Yes, it is. We squeezed this interview in this week, didn't we? It's been a bit um, bit of a mad, busy time. Um, But we managed (laughs) to um, squeeze it. Don't don't need to say that. We we interviewed her this week. Keep saying it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a really brilliant chat, wasn't it? We hadn't met her before. I hadn't met her before. Had you? No, I think I've met. Might have met her briefly, but no, I hadn't. And she's great. She had Mm. so much. So many interesting things because she's obviously training at the moment for the for the international trials um, for the para-kayak places, which obviously this year is even more intense than ever with the Olympics coming up this summer. Um, so yeah. she's in, in a very intensive training programme. But she's also, well, like, look, I've got a CV right here. I'm not going yeah, yeah. to guess at things. I'm going to tell you exactly what she did. Um, she is also sub-principal bassoon doubling concha with the Royal Ballet Symphonia. And mm. she works with many chamber ensembles, including the Ensemble Kumri, uh, where she is principal bassoon. And she's a founding member of the bassoon quartet Reed Rage, as well as being principal bassoon of the Northern Chamber Orchestra. And she's also an examiner for the ABRSM. So, like, literally how she finds time to breathe, I'm not quite sure. No. Yeah, she, she'd already trained that morning. Yeah. She chatted to us and she was about to pop out again to train again. Yeah, uh, she, you're going to hear all about her rigorous. She training talks to schedule. us a lot about her kayaking, which and we, oh. we took. <laughs> I think we we're across purposes again. Oh then. my god, <laughs> your face is like your whole body is like in slow motion, but you're talking at double speed. <laughs> uh. What an image! What an image that must be. <laughs> <laughs> god, uh, I think ah, um, oh, Zoom's great, isn't it? Oh, I love it. Zoom, love it. Love it. I don't, I don't want to go back to normal life. I just like this. No, it's great. Just... I feel like all my interactions are so natural. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? We um, should probably just cut to the chase oh, then, shouldn't yeah, we? Otherwise, we're going to gonna it, ruin cause... this. Oh, I, before we go to the, to the chat, yeah. I feel I should flag up. I'm, I try and make a joke very early on and it does not land. But... <laughs> oh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. <laughs> I, look, I could have could have cut it out. I tell you what, it's all the better for it. <laughs> it's a great chat. Keep listening. We're going to go straight to the conversation now and then maybe we'll have a little chat at the end if we can stand it. Fingers uh, crossed. Okay. Klinos Owen, coming up. <laughs> Klinos, are you at it's your home home at the moment then? Because you've, did you come down to London for it? Was it like an intensive training weekend? Or? Um, so no, I was down in London because we had a uh, four days ballet. Um, oh, so when lovely. we did that, yeah. 
Yeah. So when we did those four days of ballet, I came down. But because we're so close to internationals, I mm. had to bring my boat with me because in the pa- it's been a really weird year actually for that. Because in the past, I've been juggling working and training. And then during the pandemic, you know, that part, the work part of my life has fallen out for most, you know, for 90% of the time. Mm. So in a way, it's enabled me to to really focus in on training. Um, And a lot more juggling. But yeah, so, but then suddenly when work was back in, like, (laughs) but then work was back in, it was quite hard to find that balance again. And also by that point, my coach was used to me, you know, being at training all the time. So like his poor face, when I told him, I'm actually going to be away for eight days, he was like, you have to take your boat. Like, okay. You have to ride the boat there to make up for it. (laughs) Down the canal networks. Um, yeah, where did where did you train when you were down here then? So when I was in London, so I got in touch with some people, like some paddling, the paddling fraternity, because obviously all the clubs are closed, so there's nowhere to store a boat and no access onto the water and stuff. But um, I found a place um, uh, in Islington where you could I could park with my blue bad really close to the canal and there was access onto the canal and it was just long enough to just do some sprint, some sprint training. So yeah, I just yeah. did that. And then I went straight from London to Cardiff, but then that was awesome because I could just go on Cardiff Bay. So yes. yeah, that was great. Yeah. Oh. Wow. So what's your training at the moment? Like what, what level of intensity is it at? Um, it's like in the week? at slightly out of hand intensity level, I would oh. say. Yeah. Like, so yeah. yeah, during the, yeah, during the pandemic, I'm training kind of between 10 and 15 times a week. So we do at least what, so mon- we Monday to Saturday and then we have Sunday off. And we train at least once on the water, but there have been some, you know, depending on what the program is, sometimes we'll do two water sessions a day and one home gym session. So either a home weight session or gym when the gyms are open and, um, or a core session. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, wow. yeah. That's So that, that's more than one, once a day, isn't it? 10 yeah. to 15 times a, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, a week. Well, that's, that's, a, least, <laughs> that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. At least twice a day, uh, three times a day. Um, if, if energy allows. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your specialism? Because are you a sprint kayaker? Sorry for my ignorance with this. <laughs> but yeah, do you do specialise in sprints or are you distance? Yeah. Um, no, I'm just sprint. Um, yeah. Your terminology is on point, Verity. Uh, oh, thanks, um, thanks, mate. But I'm not like, a, I, it's not through choice. It's through lack of options, basically. Because um, um, for Paralympic sport, there's only yeah. sprint and it's only 200 metres and it's only individual. Um, right. It's, it's actually, it's been really interesting kind of just drilling down, understanding more about about the Paralympics rather than, you know, because I've always been a fan of the Olympics. And then I guess like most people, London 2012 is when everyone started to understand a bit more about the Paralympics. But yeah, obviously being part of that world now, I'm understanding more about why there's fewer sports in the para. Because I remember watching... um, in 20, 2012 was the first Olympics since I'd had my character. And so since I kind of had a disability, if you like. And so watching it and being like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But actually, I remember being really annoyed at the time because I wasn't sp- particularly sporty before the accident. And obviously after the accident, that part of my life had completely stopped. And I was convinced I was going to just turn into a blob, to be honest, because, you know, oh. I wasn't able to do, you know, can't walk very far, couldn't do the, the, the things like, you know, going for walks or anything that I was, or playing tennis or things that I was able to do before. So watching the Paralympics was inspiring. But on the other hand, people would often ask me, like, if I'm using a stick or in a wheelchair or something, people would be like, oh, wow, were you in the Paralympics? And I was a bit like, no, were you in the Olympics? Piss off. <laughs> 
yeah quite um and then in 20 2016 was the first time that para canoe was in it and by that time i'd started kayaking quite a lot um just um basically me and my husband were thinking of things that we could do together that were like adventurous to to be yeah a hobby that wasn't just driving around like old people in a car and so and he said oh you know maybe maybe kayaking so we started doing that so by the time that the 2016 Rio Olympics was uh, Paralympics was on um I was really into sea kayaking and surf kayaking and I, I was interested, you know, if there had been a Paralympic discipline in uh, slalom, I would have thought, yeah, that's for me. Because I enjoy the kind of danger and the tactics and, and the white water nature of it. But then when I saw that paracanoe was just sprint, I was like, oh, that's not for me. Because that it's unbeknownst to me. I was just really stupid and didn't understand the sport. There is tactics and an awful lot of technique and refinement in it. But for me, I just thought, you've just got to be a beast. Like, it's yeah. just about going fast and and beasting yourself and feeling yeah. sick at the end. I was like, oh no, thank you. That's not for me. I assumed it would just be like immense upper body strength for I mean, that kind a lot of speed. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And it's a lot of like lactic acid tolerance and stuff because it's similar um, because the, dis- the uh, 200 meter distance takes like the able-bodied men are about 35 seconds. Right. And like, so I'm in KL3, which is like the least disabled category in, in women. And the gold medal time is like 40, 46, 47 maybe seconds. Yeah. And so that kind of time is more like 400 meter or 800 meter Olympic sprinting, which is kind of well known for being the really painful, horrible ones. Yeah. Because you're, you're a bit, yeah. it's longer than... Uh, than the kind of um, uh, sprinting, like, you know, the 100-metre sprint, you're, you're into lactic tolerance and lactic pain, but you're not into anaerobic work. Right. Um, but you've, you've done all the... What's, oh, I'm going to get all the science wrong. So the phosphocreatine system that, like, gets you off the line and does the first few seconds and stuff. But it's yeah. the... Yeah. It's not pleasant. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, the, you say about the tactics that are involved in a sprint... So how does that... Oh, actually, I guess, yeah. It's not so much, you know, it's nowhere near as tactical as, say, marathon racing or um, uh, slalom, but the technique and also just, yeah, just understanding where you're going to be and what you're going to feel like. And yeah, there's, there's... I mean, I was just, I, I was just an idiot watching it and going, oh, it's just going fast and made yeah. to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, so say you're, you're aiming for like 47 to like 48 seconds or something. Yeah. Um, do you have, is there a set number of uh, motions that you have to do within that? that yeah, so that you tend always to, gonna be the same, uh, like, uh, you you might count your number of strokes so that you know that this is around about where I am in my, in my race trajectory. And this is, yeah. you want to be getting to your top speed at about 40 metres and you'll be able to hold it for a certain amount of time and then it does drop off. And, um, and yeah, because the strokes right. per minute, um, I think for my race, you're looking at a, 120 130 strokes per minute um maybe 140 for some of the quicker girls and and then but often um efficiency drops off as your as your stroke rate goes up and so you're kind of trying to find that sweet spot where you're wheeling around fast enough but that each stroke is doing your maximum distance per stroke yeah 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 sorry it's very technical no it's fantastic the so the trials that are coming up is it the olympic trials that are so no these um the ones in two and a bit weeks so yeah um so in the middle of april we've got 
international selections right. and so it's quite exciting and I think it's it's even more exciting because of COVID weirdly because it's all behind closed doors and we've all had to yeah. qualify in order to race at those because usually right. they will have we would have been a regatta like a national regatta at the end of March where um if you're fast enough in that regatta you are kind of allowed or invited to to be in the international um, qualification races and in that regatta there'd be all all the other races as well yeah. whereas because of covid they're just allowing the athletes who have got a shot at being international competitors so it's only those people that are going to be there so they'll be like all the famous people who've won gold medals and stuff it's quite exciting yes that's so exciting and have you really noticed like you were saying earlier where playing as obviously with this wonderful mm. year being nigh on non-existent um have you have you noticed a real difference in your training do you feel more prepared than you would have done necessarily last year massively it's one yeah. of these really weird silver linings for me like especially yeah. being so uh, i mean i'm sure in a lot of musicians that you will talk to that suddenly that even if you're an incredibly busy freelancer who's making loads more money than someone in a job suddenly the person with the job is like wow i am so lucky like if you're in a position where you can be furloughed, just that. And, you know, so many people have fallen through the gaps with the SIS and stuff that the, the stability that that's given those of us who are lucky enough to be in some, some kind of job that has an employment contract um, has been amazing. So that's given me the stability. I mean, unbeknownst to them, uh, the Birmingham Royal Ballet have been funding me to be a full-time athlete this year. <laughs> I <laughs> think they'd be delighted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's Thank great. You very much to them. <laughs> so that's definitely changed. You know, just being able to put it at the top of my priorities um, whereas sometimes it was the top of my priorities and sometimes it wasn't, you know, if I had work, I had to go to work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So definitely it's different of intensity, different of focus, different of like, even when I go to bed and when I get up, you know, like, because, you know, I was training, uh, I, I had an, like, it wasn't that it was 7.15 start or 7.30. I think I left this morning and, um, that I was able to go to bed at nine last night. You know, usually yeah. if you, you at nine o'clock, you've still got three pages of music to go and then a two and a half hour drive. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, next morning's training is either going to be rubbish or you're going to have to say, no, no, not on for that. Yeah. Totally. Whereas now it is what I can kind of base my life around. But yes. I'm, I like the fact that it's just this short period because um, it's exciting and I still love it at the moment. I'm not sure I would love it in five years. Right. But, yeah. I'm glad that, you know, I've got, you know, hopefully if the industry survives, yeah. <laughs> like, that I've got music to go back to because it's a different kind of joy and it's mm, more intellectually stimulating. Right. And I guess also, you know, it's not often after a session on the bassoon that you probably have to be sick into a bucket, whereas <laughs> I assume you have to do a bit of that with your kayak. <laughs> yeah, there is. Actually, the first day that I went to like a Discover Your Gold, um, uh, like an I Talent ID day, like the when I... It was weird because like, I, um, I saw it on Twitter. So since the 2012 Olympics and since my accident... I've been following like some disability rights activists and some Paralympians on Twitter. And these, on these two threads, these two threads kind of came together and I kept seeing this, are you disabled and do you do sport? Apply for this, discover your goal today. Cause I think they're always looking for new athletes, especially in certain disciplines. If they, you know, if they've got athletes that are retiring or whatever. And I thought, Oh, I mean, I guess I could tick both those boxes. Why not? So I filled out this application form, expecting it to be filed in the big application form called, like in the big filing system called the bin. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, come on. I was then, you know, mid, mid, mid to late thirties. 
um, unfit, borderline alcoholic contributionist. Like, have me. I tell you, that's a lot of ticks there. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I was expecting it to say absolutely no notice me, but then I got invited along to this day and there were some specific kayaking coaches who'd come because they were like, yeah, we're looking for female athletes uh, in canoeing or kayaking and I was like oh oh that's that's me but yeah the day itself the the test that we had to go through people with like uh, with upper limb disabilities were on a watt bike and those of us with lower limb disabilities were on a ski erg so a bit like a rowing erg but like a ski erg um and we all had sick buckets next to us there was definitely a point before I'd really sorted out my nutrition I think when I wasn't really concentrating on how and how much time to have in between eating and training or when I'd got this, when I'd looked at the program wrong and thought that we were doing a less intense session than a lactic acid session or something. And I'd eaten, you know, too much or too close to training. I was regularly sick in training. Oh, to be honest, I don't think there's a week in training where I'm not either a little bit sick or in tears. And then, some, <laughs> yeah, but somehow these are still my life choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I remember the Steve Redgrave montage from like, I think that was, uh, might have even been 2000 where basically it was just sort of vomit and tears and and saying don't ever let me back in a boat again wasn't it it's 2004 yeah. maybe yeah. yeah I guess that's that's what I'm imagining when I'm thinking of you and your training yeah. yeah I mean it's not all like that but no it, do, it does happen yeah <laughs> so when you went for that first uh test with them were you quite fit had you sort of been, been working quite a lot at your fitness um mate uh, what Yes and no. Like, so I'd, I'd with like physios and stuff and I'd been able to work out there were certain things in the gym that I could do. And so I'd been doing things like the arm bike and stuff quite a bit. And then when I applied for this and knew that I was going to have to go to a, to a talent ID day, I think I, I upped that a bit. And it was just after I'd been to China for three and a half weeks for work and around the work, I, um, cause it was examining work, there was hardly anything else to do, uh, but there was a gym at the hotel. So I think I probably just spent quite a lot of time at the gym and the hotel doing, um, doing some weights and just the aerobic work that I could manage, you know, w- without, you know, uh, using my, my hip and leg too much. Um, yeah, so I was fit-ish, but I've definitely, one of the things that's been amazing about this is I am without doubt the fittest and the strongest that I have ever been. And for that to be after a life-changing injury, yeah. you know, I honestly thought when I was lying in that hospital bed, <laughs> actually I remember two things I remember thinking was, oh shit, I'm never going to win Wimbledon now, am I? Even though like <laughs> I, I wasn't any good at tennis. <laughs> and I also thought, oh, I'm never going to be on Strictly, even though oh. I'm not famous. But I think the awareness of like, oh, I do have a, like, apparently I have a disability now and there's things I'm not going to be able to do but I you I'd know, say I, you could definitely get on Strictly though I think you could de- yeah. there's definitely still a route into Strictly I wouldn't worry about there is that a route I mean, now, if they yeah. do chair dancing like if I yeah. can because like I can only I'm dance sure. for about three minutes at a time Surely. so I mean I guess all their dancers are quite short aren't they yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you so you were talking about the accent that all of this kind of stems from and that was 2009 wasn't it mm-hmm. and so so what actually what I mean if you're happy to talk yeah, about no, it, because it's fine. I'm, but so what actually happened? So I was on my home, actually, on my way home from teaching, actually, and um, my car skidded on a dual carriageway and ended up facing the wrong way in the fast lane. Oh my god! And yeah, so but it was it was kind of it was weird. It was a slipway, so there was a really wide central reservation, a big grass central reservation. So I got off, I got out on there, and some of the cars passed, but then another car came and skidded on the same patch of road. 
and hit me and the car and but I, me as a pedestrian. And so, I mean, I don't remember this next bit. Apparently I flew like 10 meters or something in the air. And um, yeah, and, I mean, I don't remember much of the rest of it, but uh, what I do remember is when the ambulance arrived and stuff and I was really confused and I heard that the, um, uh, the air ambulance arriving mm. and the paramedics on the ground started really bitching about the air ambulance. Oh. And they were, say- they were saying like, oh, this is ridiculous because I think at the time the helipad was being refurbished or something. So they would have had to land me in a field and the paramedics would have had to go and get me from that field anyway. And they were... But the the vibe was like, oh, they think they're so special up there, but we're doing a great job here. And I remember thinking, oh, if I can find this funny, if I can find the kind of paramedic politics of this funny, I'm probably going to be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was definitely in denial for a really long time. Because right. I was like, um, yeah, I just thought I'd just broken my leg. And I, yeah, it, uh, and even when the, I remember even when the surgeon, the surgeon uh, bless him. He came back off his half term holiday to stitch me back together because I was such a fascinating case. Um, <laughs> and he's still now apparently like in his. When I see him like for my regular for my well not that regular checkups, he he's like, oh, I take I take your X rays and a video of you walking to to seminars and say, look, I did this. Well done, me, because he like yeah. knitted me back together really well. Um, That's very heartening that he's using yeah. you as an example that's yes, very exactly. good yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but even when he said to me you know like this is a really bad injury we we had to dis- make a big decision during the operation on whether to replace your hip but we've decided to keep it but it's not gonna you know it's not going to be great you might have to have an interim hip replacement in a year it's going to be a two-year recovery to a th- and then you'll plateau you might have to walk with a stick and I remember you know I just remember this thought crossing my mind when he said two years. I remember thinking, you don't know me. Give me six months, <laughs> um, which was stupid because I'm not a surgeon. and I don't know what I'm on about. And I definitely suffered from it in that I thought but that because I wanted to be better, that I just was better. Mm. And I pushed myself to, like, I mean, pain clinic have been awesome because pain clinic try and teach you to only do on a good day what you can normally do on a bad day and how you know, oscillating and stuff isn't good for your pain management. Um, yeah, but it's, I think, a combination of realism and optimism yeah. is better than just optimism. <laughs> yeah. But it probably psychologically got you through quite a lot as well, feeling that, having that positivity. You yeah, know, yeah, I think definitely some of it has. Through. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. of that has, yeah. And did you have to completely relearn how to walk? Well, I feel like it was um, evolution and fast forward because I had to learn how to walk underwater. Um, so, because uh, they put me in a hydrotherapy pool. So they used to come yeah. like two or three times a week at the ambulance, come and take me to the hi- after I was like um, discharged. Because I wasn't in the hospital that long. It was like six weeks or so. And then I had to be on my back for 10 weeks. And then um, when I was allowed to like sit up again, I had to start. But And then the annoying thing about that was because I'd also broken my collarbone, which is nothing, you know, compared to like a shattered pelvis is like the thing that's, um, you know, lifelong injury. Whereas a broken collarbone is just a broken collarbone. But because it hadn't fixed itself, I couldn't um, use crutches, which meant that I was in a wheelchair for longer than I would have been otherwise. Plus in the wheelchair, I could only wheel one side and like go around in circles. Oh. But that did mean, you know, from a dependency point of view, I like it just mean I needed someone to push me to the toilet. Like, and that was even when I was able to use a toilet, like rather than a bedpan. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's another thing that's given me like, you know, just a small closed 
in time-wise window on the life of someone who has to live live that life all the time. Like, no wonder a lot of disabled people are quite cross, to be honest. Yeah. 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 And so did you suddenly start to see things in life that were not, uh, no, buildings that haven't been designed uh, particularly well for for disabled people um, and particularly uh, venues that, that we play at? West End, West End venues and and that very old building massively. I mean, it's still a yeah. still a really big issue for me to be honest because I really str- I struggle with going um, downstairs is fine, but upstairs I'm I'm not great with. So many venues that don't have lifts, or if they do have lifts, people are really funny about. Oh, this is only for the set. No, you can't use it unless you like, or maybe if you're carrying a harp or a double bass or something. Um, and yeah, like parking at venues. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many amazing theatres that have had great up, like, facelifts at the front of house, but as we all know, like, the, the backstage is just dreadful. But there's, you know, there's quite a few venues where it's, like, three three flights of stairs to the nearest toilet from the pit. Yeah. 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 And um, I do wonder, like, as, as I get older and my and the arthritis that the disabilities left me is getting worse, there's part of me thinking, I really hope that by that point in my career that the backstage will have to be more accessible because I, you know, if I'm having to do spend more time in a wheelchair, um, that might be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any kind of movement to try and revamp a lot of the, these old theatres? I mean, this would have been a good time to do a lot of that. Mm, over this yeah. last year, I guess, it? but it's but, expensive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. That not most people are going to be able-bodied that are backstage. So it's probably not at top of people's priorities, which which is is awful because it, it does it does exclude people that are disabled use a wheelchair from even working in that in mm. any of those industries. Yeah, mm. that's it. Backstage or in the pit. Or- yeah, even getting onto a stage quite often. I know I was speaking yeah. to somebody who a horn player who is in a wheelchair and was saying exactly that that it's you know just even something like that they might have sorted out the backstage but getting onto the blinking stage yeah. itself it's ridiculous. Yeah. So did you find that um of post accident so you're 10 weeks on your back my god i mean what did you in terms of starting playing again after that was it did you then have to quite quite a long while after that to get going yeah it was weird because i was looking through like a study book and sometimes i'll write um like a massive geek i'll write the dates on (laughs) and the metronome marks that i can play them at oh you're good (laughs) (laughs) Um, but um i had one in um that was about three weeks after I was able to sit up and like it was before I was walking again and I, could, I can't really remember doing that. Yeah, I was able to play for short periods at the time because even when I was starting to walk again, it was before they'd fixed my collarbone and because it was my left collarbone and the bassoon kind of um, is heaviest on the left side, that was a real struggle. So I could play yeah. for like 15 or 20 minutes at a time, but I wouldn't have been able to do a three-hour session. But I remember thinking, but that's fine for auditions. So I'd applied for, <laughs> I applied for the principal bassoon of the opera house <laughs> because Ooh. that's a sensible <laughs> thing to do from your hospital bed. I didn't tell my parents because I, I knew that they'd be like, no, you silly girl, just lie down and get better. Uh, but luckily, even though the it was a kind of a December um, application deadline, the first audition wasn't until April. So I managed to make that, like uh, go, going down like um, with my crutches down to London at that point. And, and I honestly think that that is one of these things that's just luck again. And also I wonder, like even in a screened audition, maybe they thought, oh, it's that poor girl who's had a car accident because they could hear my crutches or something. But... Yeah, I mean, I think that like getting a trial and then working as guest principal with them definitely was a 
you know, a, a step up in my career. And it's the kind of thing that it's always on your CV. People always know about it. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're looking to have people in for guest principles and stuff. So that's been I'm glad that in my morphine haze that I that I applied. Yeah. Did, you, did you do your audition on morphine as well? Because I bet, you know. Uh, I was on tramadol. I was definitely on loads oh, of tramadol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great that, that in even though in your in your recovery, you still were really focused on carrying carrying on with the bassoon. It didn't sort of make you think, oh, I'm just going to... Do something else. I don't know. I think it shows a lack of imagination. (laughs) Because I remember (laughs) thinking, like, you know, you know, you have this life changing um, accident, and you know, a bit of time off your life, and a little bit like this pandemic. You know, lots of people have taken the opportunity to think, oh, actually, what do I really want to do with my life? But it wasn't as if I really questioned that, and I didn't, you know, learn French or find Jesus or like change career. Um, I just, just like, all right, I'll just, I'll just lie here and wait until I can play the bassoon again. But I don't feel like I really interrogated. It. but you know it makes I like playing the bassoon and I like being given money for, to play the bassoon so yeah so right. I'm fine with that choice did you yeah. make a lot of reads when you're in your hospital bed oh, oh gosh I feel like I can't really um admit this on on a public platform but I've never made a read in my life hey <laughs> <laughs> yes I love it oh god it's like, too short like yeah just buy them yeah. Just buy them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how refreshing to hear that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm like, okay, all the all the t- the, the time because I never learned at college. Partly, I think because I was at university rather than music college. And then when I went to music college for postgrad, it was only a year, and it wasn't enough time to really like get down to learning how to do it. And then by the time that you think, oh, actually, maybe I should do it, you think you know, the first, what, 100, 200 reads you're going to make are going to be rubbish. I haven't got time in my career to like, to spend on that. That, you know, that's great to do while you're at college, yeah. but I have a, a, like, uh, and all the time that I'm not spending making reads, I, I tell myself that, oh, I can be practicing. I mean, the reality yeah. that, or watch or under the hammer in my pants. <laughs> like, yeah, that's my choice. Yeah, um, but right. I think it's kind of, it's just a bit late now, to be honest. Like, it's a bit late <laughs> to start. So I think it's expensive. Like I probably make less money in my career because I spend more of it buying reads that I then, you know, either I used to pass them on to students or sell them to students and like we're not teaching and stuff. And then they just kind of lie there making me feel guilty. But, um, that's the way I, I'm choosing to finance yeah. my career. <laughs> I think that's a very good life balance to be honest. Mm, it's a funny thing. Cause like, I remember when I first heard about the concepts of read making, I just I was like, oh, I guess that's like a niche thing that you do, but it's kind of the norm for, oboists and bassoonists more so oboists i think i know more bassoonists who buy rather than make or do a combination of of the two um i think maybe like and especially for contra bassoon reads i think basically the smaller you get in the read the smaller the margin Mm. of error the more personal it is so like you know with the contra you just strap two trees again together really (laughs) (laughs) crack on yeah couple of bits of two by four um now (laughs) Is it four by two? My, my builder was teaching me all about the like, different bits of words. <laughs> He's teaching me. I can recognise some, but I can never remember which way around it goes. Two by four, four by two. Anyway, um, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So you're mainly a contra bassoon player? Well, no, I, I'm, 
I am so versatile. <laughs> I, uh, oh, yeah, you, or, play, you play guest like, prince with a the musical whore. I will sit anywhere. Like, yeah, I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't mind. Like, I love, I love. You fit in here. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very exactly. good. I'm very happy. Jack of all trades. Very happy to, like, I love playing principal. Like, when you get the tune sometimes, I don't know if I'd want to do it all the time. I love the kind of subtlety and the, like, how sensitive you have to be to other people when you're playing second but I also love you know on the contra um and all the different sides of playing the contra you know that some of the, the the subtleties of playing contra as well but also just getting to play really loud farty notes and you get a shuffle like hooray yeah. yes. <laughs> who doesn't love not a lot of effort for quite a lot of clapping <laughs> but, yeah. because oh, on the contra yeah. you're you're right next to the brass section mm. Like you're like the one, the one person we can see, or maybe you're sat next to a trumpet player or something. So like that's like our only. Oh yeah, well nice one. We can hear that. Yeah, yeah. Can so see what that Like the going. buffer, the buffer between the yeah. wind and the brass. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a hell of a mediating job. <laughs> <laughs> it's I find it fascinating. Like when you know when there's a bit in an orchestra and it's mainly the winds are doing something, and I'm always fascinated by the kind of the dynamics within it. As you say, like you've got, I mean, so you've got basically like eight people and then you might have a core anglais or a contra bassoon or maybe some funny clarinets and flutes but um it's basically you've got those four kind of principles in the middle that all kind of feed off each other and then you've got the supporting mm-hmm. players and it it really feels like a, a well-oiled machine when it's working well it's i mean it's incredible i mean it's, you know some of the great orchestras obviously they're all amazing but uh it's a different dynamic like than the brass section because it's kind of just the positions of it the, the number of players is different uh, and you're right in the middle of the orchestra so I just know I don't know what what the experience is like because I, I love playing in the winter section it's exactly what yeah. you're saying like, and I did, recently I did um, for WNO we did some um, Beethoven 1 and Beethoven 2 and it's just such beautiful wind writing. Actually, that's being a bit yeah. mean to the clarinets because Beethoven wasn't using the clarinets so much at that time. Um, but there's so much wind chorale stuff. And yeah, exactly. When it works, it's just spine tingling when you feel like everyone has is part of this, yeah, this machine. Everyone's a cog in the machine and the tuning is is comfortable and it's the it's the the antennae as well, isn't it? Like you're, you, everyone's got their own individual part, but it's also in t- it's people think that our job is creative, but I think it's more interpretative. Like you're interpreting not only what the composer wants, what the conductor wants, what your first flute wants, what the first bassoon wants, what the core play, like everything. And, but then all trying to make something beautiful together and I think, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, the, the, the wind section is very particular in that case. Like the string section are all making this amazing sound, but there's, you know, 12 of you playing the same part here and interacting yeah. differently with the eight who are playing this part here. And the same with the brass as well, that it's then individuals as one. But there's this very established, especially when it's eight, where there's very yeah. established kind of octet of, of sound. Yeah. yeah, it is. I mean... It's very special, isn't it? When, when mm. like this is why we miss it so much, isn't it? Yeah, totally. It's real kind of. It's got that um, link to chamber music, I think, with the the uh, the way the winds work together, and uh, yeah, listening listening as much as think about what you're playing as well. But you 
mainly listening really yeah isn't it? i remember the first yeah. time i really felt that was um i did south bank i think in 2009 it was just before my accident i did a year in in south bank and i remember for the first time because you know getting to work with one of the bassoonists shout out to andrew watson my like oh, partner in yes. crime yes <laughs> yes <Legend>. watson yes <laughs> we would like we still refer to ourselves as the dream team <laughs> <laughs> because it was just such a musically happy time. And I remember talking to him about how when we're playing together and when we're really in sync, I am listening and hearing his playing more than my own. And mm. and if you're comfortable enough in your playing, you can just kind of meld that around the other person that you're listening to. And yeah, it's really, Aww. it's really great. I've thought about that more and more over the years in that, that my listening, my ears are, are my kind of primary sense that's at work when I'm playing. And I try to kind of instill that idea to students, but I think you have to get to a certain point first that, so that you know whatever's coming out of you is is good. Absolutely. Before you can get to that next level. That's yeah, so I, true. I also yeah. think it's a really good way of um, of coping with anxiety and nerves. I think if you're listening more and thinking more as a unit, you forget, you sort of can almost forget that thing of feeling worried about what you're doing and yeah. it being this way. Because obviously, especially in an orchestra or a chamber ensemble, it is, it's so much about the combined sound. So yeah, I think it's a really good way of combating nerves, starting to listen to somebody else more than yourself. Absolutely. So, that's what I've been trying. <laughs> and I think it's something that I've found um, hugely with the kayaking as well, with with having the confidence in your own ability. And like, like you said, Seb, you know, when you're trying to teach it to students and maybe the reason that they can't open their ears to other people is because it's taking so much effort to, to produce the sound that they want anyway. And yeah. I think that as um, as professional musicians, that you kind of, it takes years to get to that point where you're comfortable and confident enough in your own plane that you can open up to other people. And I'm finding that at the moment in my kayaking, I'm still at that point where I can't, not that, you know, it's not like I'm in a team or, or should be taking any notice of my competitors, but I it's I'm having to think so hard that it's yeah. really hard to relax. And I was um, talking to to a friend about, um, like I was having kind of a bit of a crisis of self-confidence and lack of self-belief in in my kind of athletic abilities. Um, And I said, it just reminds me so much of how I used to feel about my bassoon playing throughout most of my twenties. I would always have imposter syndrome at a a certain point in every gig. I would think I'm just not good enough to be here. I'm just not good enough to be here. And she was trying to convince me. She was like, yeah, and see you, you were wrong because you are. And I was like, no, I think I was right. It's just taken a really long time for me to get here, like to get to the point where I'm confident in my playing because because it's good enough. <laughs> Whereas with kayaking, I think I'm still I'm in an odd space that because of the like the, the way that the Paralympic sport is still quite young for kayaking, and I've come into it as having no athletic background, at the same time as possibly hopefully competing internationally, I'm kind of still a beginner. You know, yeah. and we've, I know that the idea of the ten thousand hours has been disputed, but I think there is something in just the that the whatever number of hours it is before you feel like oh no 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 okay I get this now. And sometimes when I'm having a crisis of self-belief in kayaking and my coach is saying, you've got this, you've got this, believe in it. I feel like I say back, I know what it feels like to 
to to be able to do something well and it's not this and it's almost bad to have the comparison of like yeah. I have confidence in my playing because it feels so different because I don't have the 10,000 eyes in kayaking but then it's like I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and there's one called the high performance podcast which is really great um um, it's a lot of sports people, um, but lots of business people, even Glennie as well did one recently, but I've been listening kind of specifically to the sporting ones. Um, and yeah, the kind of accepting that, but this is where we are. I have yeah. put in so much work into training and into, so what can I deliver given where we're at? Like, how can I deliver well in this session, in this race, um, even though you might not be comfortable around this bit or this bit, focus on, you know, having to having to get used to doing something that I don't have confidence that I'm doing it well in. Yeah. I'm still doing it to the best of my current ability. Yeah. Absolutely. But, and yeah. can you also conversely use some of the psychology that you'd use, like say going into an audition or, you know, where there's a big pearly solo coming up. Mm. Is that, can you go through similar thought processes when you're in a race or when you're in an intensive training session? Hugely. Actually. Yeah. I've definitely come to realize that being a musician has made me a better athlete and being an athlete has made me a better musician. There's right. so many, um, similar, actually, oh, I just need to kind of disclaimer that the athlete word, <laughs> like, I, I still feel slightly uncomfortable. No, keep identifying as an no, athlete. No. I remember when we had to sign up to parking, like for the, for the first race I did, um, uh, in the team. And, um, you, you had to, you know, to fill out, you know, your registration and then either take athlete or staff. And I was like, Oh, is there not like an other box? But yeah, but I'm I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around the, the self actually self-identity, yeah, like disability as well. Like being part yeah. of the Paralympic team has massively helped me reframe my understanding of disability. Because yeah. you know, before my accident, I knew very little about disability. But to be honest, in between 2009 and 2018, when I first got involved with the team, I like, I didn't know many disabled people, much less any, many disabled people my age. So being involved in the para team and meeting all these different athletes with a huge range of disabilities, also a huge range of longevity of their impairments. You know, some people are yeah. born with it. Some people, you know, lo- you know, had their amputation last year. So there's a yeah. huge range of where people are on their journey and self-identity and yeah. like a range of how visible the disability is. Cause like mine is quite often, in, if I'm not using like a mobility aid, mine is kind of invisible. Yeah. So that's all, you know, meeting other people who have invisible disabilities and just getting to talk about the frustrations of that. And that's been interesting, but let me go back to, you had a really interesting question that I didn't answer. Oh, about the psychology. That's right. The psychology, <laughs> like, yeah. Bringing in on the start line. Yeah. I think one thing that it's made me realize is how, bad we are as musicians at self-belief and, yeah. and positivity it's seen as almost embarrassing isn't it like you're supposed to always be saying oh god I'm rubbish I'm gonna mess this up I'm gonna like all this stuff and talking about especially on the start line the um another athlete that I was talking to is saying on the start line I never even think I'm not going to wobble because that puts the word wobble in your head like you need to be thinking I like the positive visualization and I thought, I don't think I've ever done that before a solo. I've always just thought, oh God, what if that's not sharp? And what if I crack on that? And what, like, and so it's really taught me how to like, it's okay to think positively about my playing as well. Um, yeah. And also to recognize when you're pushing yourself too hard. Just the fact that, you know, in, in sport, 
I have like, or certainly when I spent like when I was training more at Nottingham at the, at the national Waterport center there as a team, when I was on like the talent pathway, we had, um, a sports psychologist and a strength and conditioning coach and like, and then your actual coach and, and life, someone to talk to about lifestyle and stuff. And you think when you come out of college, you've got nothing, you're just you. And just having these people to help you, and especially the, you know, when you practice, it's just like, oh, I think I need to practice this bit and I'll go for as long as before it becomes shit. Like, whereas in training, <laughs> it's the training sessions are A, they're written by someone else. Brilliant. Very happy to abdicate all of that. Yeah. Um, to, and secondly, they are finite and measurable. And trying to bring that into my practice of being like, you know, you know, because I might be doing, uh, you know, 40 seconds on, 20 seconds on times five times six. And when that's over, that's over. Whereas in, in practice, yeah, I'd like, to, now I'm trying to be like, okay, so I'm going to practice this for five minutes and this I'm going to do until it gets to this metronome mark. And if it doesn't, you don't. And yeah. That sounds fantastically positive on your plane. Like that is really great. And I know we've talked about this a while back when we talked about that, um, what's it called? The Pomodoro method where you just, is it oh, yeah. 30 minutes? No, hang on. It's less than that, isn't it? How- I think 20 or 25 yeah. minutes. Yeah. So that you're... Set a stopwatch and then you do little chunks and you might get to the end of one and go, I'm going to carry on actually. And then you just, just do another one. But it just makes it a bit more, um, yeah, measure measurable mm. or... Yeah. What's, what's the what's the smart thing? Oh yeah, uh, measurable is one of them. Definitely yeah. specific. Yeah, me- yeah specific, measure- uh, realistic, measurable. measurable. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So it just gives you a thing. I've done three of those this morning. Well done, me. Just yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Have, have a cup of tea, bit of cake. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. not cake if you're if you're an Olympic. <laughs> um, and then yeah, do some of them, and that seems to seems to work quite well. Just make sure it just focuses you a bit more, yeah. Because you can easily just start practicing and then do about two hours, and as you say, it can you know, be very aimless, can't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Mm. I've heard recently. Rob said to me that you've recently did a recording of Ombre Mafu. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah and he that's said, a surprise. <laughs> well, he said it was absolutely stunning, and you played it beautifully because you were playing the solo line, weren't you? The vocal line. It was really funny because um, when the um, Phil Alice, the conductor, w- wanted to speak to me, or I think it was um, the orchestral manager first wanted to, to speak to me to say, "Oh, just we're going to do this recording of Ombre Mafu," so I just wanted to speak to you about it. And I thought, "Oh right, yeah, he wants me to do the continuo." Um, I think especially because our, our principal cellist wasn't able to come over because of quarantine and stuff I was like oh yeah I'll do the continuum I'm like oh how exciting <laughs> and so are you sure are you sure you know I play the bassoon right <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah so but it was lovely it was lovely to be able to especially because we got given a kind of guide recording to yeah. about, um, and it was so beautiful that actually you know in a way I was like oh you know our, my creativity is being stifled because they're saying oh do the ornaments like this person and do the phrasing and everything like this person but in itself a bit like playing second bassoon was a nice um uh exercise in in in, in being able to do a facsimile of something and yes. then sometimes try and like okay so but what would i do differently even if for the recording that they want i'm going to do more of a facsimile but it was nice yeah it was it was just nice to play a tune <laughs> yeah what are the bassoon like uh lines like generally in the ballet do you get nice juicy tunes or actually yeah it's not bad um in the back especially prokofiev and in the prokofiev i tend to play the contra and that's just awesome it's so juicy yeah it's great yeah 
Do you do Remy and Juliet quite a lot? Yes, we do. And last year I got to do it at the Opera House as well. And so I uh, and so I got my hat trick um, because I think I'd been I'd been when I was, we do it at Birmingham. I'm on contra. I'd been booked to play second for it um, on for the Opera House, and then there was uh, one day when I think the principal was ill, and I was in. I can't remember if I was in a second and sat up or whether they just got me in separately. And I was like, oh, boom. Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> Then, then all the parts for that ballet. Yeah. Did they give you a certificate for that, please? Oh, say oh, they I, did. I want a little medal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite right. There's some amazing bassoon bits in that in that um, yes. ballet. The, there's some really weird harmonies and lines. Prokofiev. Can't remember. Just which, amazing, isn't it? So good. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. It's like the sort of market, maybe the market scene or something mm. like, like where, where there's people quite early on. I think in the. I was about to no. sing it now and then I remembered this was a yeah, podcast, so I'm not. On, sing go on, it. sing, 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 sing. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we've got Cinderella coming up, uh, which is extremely yeah. exciting yeah. because, yeah, so Birmingham Ballet doing Cinderella. Um, right. Yeah, so we're going to be doing it in Plymouth and a couple of weeks in, in Birmingham at the Rap Theatre. But because of the COVID restrictions um, still, especially during rehearsals and stuff, it's a smaller, it's a smaller orchestration. So I'm, I'm a bit bereft because it's one bassoon. So, yeah, so I don't get to play contra. I mean, I do get to play all the things on the bassoon and and like, it's going to be a bit of a smack in the mouth, I think, especially doing two, (laughs) two in a day. (laughs) Bring along my, my, uh, my oxygen tank for that, I think. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Are those gigs confirmed? Like if, if the, if there is any more COVID again, will it become a sort of streamed thing instead? Uh, I don't know. I guess it could do, like if everything goes tits up. But I mean, they, they're def- <laughs> they've announced it and they're selling tickets. So so it is going ahead. But I guess like the, yeah. the Nutcracker that we did before Christmas that was supposed to be with audience and then suddenly there was the extra lockdown. But, you know, they really pulled it out of the bag to to do it streamed and it was really beautifully like because you know yeah. there's a it was funny wasn't it at the beginning there's so much online content and you know some of it's like that's not you know the fact that it's during the pandemic is literally the only uh, reason for putting this out there because the quality is <laughs> shocking yeah and um, yeah so you know trying I think the, the company have been really good about trying to put out really good quality content yeah I wanted to ask you about examining right ABRSM examining. A, how did you get into that in the first place? Because it's quite a rigorous training program. Oh my God. The training, the train, I mean, it is, like you say, very rigorous. I remember um, when I did the training weekend, which is like, it's a really tough weekend. Um, It's a really steep learning curve, which is really interesting. I guess a little bit like the kayaking in that everyone's doing it is already good at what they do. You know, there's lots of people who are heads of music at school, lots of professional, like mainly professional musicians uh, who are good at what they do and they impart that knowledge to other people. And suddenly you're in something that is in your field, but examining itself is hard and needs a lot of training. Yeah. And um, that weekend was so tiring. I remember after the, the, the first, Friday, we call it the, 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 the grade one of doom comes at the end of the, like day one of training where basically they just run a, a grade one exam from beginning to end without cuts and you just have to mark it. And I think they probably especially choose one of the ones where there's shortest pieces because, you know, like a, a grade one piece on piano might be 30 to 45 seconds long. And within that time, you need to have formed an opinion chosen a mark and uh, based on the criteria and probably chosen three points of that criteria to to explain how you've come to you know what why this is the right mark and 
as trainees, you know, you're starting to listen to that. You're starting to think about all these things and you might have started writing one word and they finished and then they start the next piece and you go, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) And then you're panicking about whether you're supposed to be listening to the second piece and writing or going back and writing about the first piece before you've forgotten that. And some people just leave at that end of that Friday night because they're just like, no, no, not for you. Yeah. And I specifically remember staying in a hotel in London and brushing my teeth that evening and being like, oh, what is that? And I'd, start, I'd brush my teeth with Savlon. And I, and I think it was just because oh, I was God. so exhausted. <laughs> <I> was exhausted. <laughs> but it is amazing. That you know, sounds like, like self-sabotage to me, yeah. actually. I'm not going back. It's you know, it's like like anything, you know, you can't rush a good job. Um it takes practice. Uh the training I think is very rigorous. And then you get to, you know, follow and mentor people while they're examining and um and then you are observed examining and stuff. And you can and then the the kind of when you get moderated um once every few years, it's a chance to kind of just if your dials need resetting and yeah. and the, like and annual conferences and stuff, it's, yeah. Which instruments do you find most challenging to mark? Because that must be really. I would think percussion for me would be pretty tricky. Oh, I had a couple of grade eight percussions last week actually, and oh, did they you? Were my, yeah, they were my first ones, and so I was a bit like, oh, I haven't done one before. But you know, you've got you have a lot of the music in front of you, uh, or have access to it, and. You know, it's is the rhythm right or not? <laughs> you oh, know? okay, so, yes. yeah, yeah. And also, like, there's still things like you know, like um, you know, the shape of the music and the performance element of it. And actually, I think for most examiners, the most difficult me- uh, instrument to examine is your own, because right. it's easier than to go into teaching mode and to say, oh, like for me, it'd be like. Um, uh, not you're not you're not flicking your thumb keys enough whereas actually what you're trying to examine is the musical outcome and the musical mm. outcome of not flicking your thumb keys enough is that the articulation isn't clear and that the yeah. slurs are, are bumpy and so the the shape or the the like the melody line or the the, the line the direction of the uh, of the phrasing isn't clear and yeah. that's actually easier to to comment on um on an instrument where you might not have the minutiae of how that's happening but you can tell that what's coming out is really nice or or needs work here or yeah 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 i did a grade six piano a couple of years ago oh well done thanks i must have had nothing on in my life i, I just <laughs> i just god how times have changed so <laughs> i know i just i got i got a piano from the school i was teaching at they were getting rid of it so i had this piano i was like oh i love it and i love playing the piano but i'd only got to grade two when i was a kid so and i'd yeah, I'd sort of practiced some harder stuff when I was when I was younger, but I thought, oh, I'm going to try and do it. So I did grade six and went through the whole process of being uh, on the, uh, the other well, side. I'm not an examiner, but be an examinee, and it was uh, it was very strange. Yeah, how did you find like the how nervous were you compared to you know your normal work when you went into that exam room? Um, I was I was a little bit nervous actually. Um, what I found, I, I actually spent all morning practicing my scales because there's a uh, lot of grade six yeah yeah there's a lot and I realized a few days earlier that I just hadn't put in enough time I hadn't learned it and and, but the thing is because I play the trumpet you can't practice before something big on the day but on the piano Mm -hmm. you can so I just did like probably three hours of practice (laughs) uh but scales are so hard like if you just start on the wrong finger you are 
you're done. Yeah. And I think as musicians, quite often we think that, you know, because we know the key signatures, which is where a lot of our students fall down, we're like, we're yeah. way, way ahead. But especially yes. in piano, the reason that you're doing the scales in the piano is not just for your theory, it's for technique, isn't it? And being able to yeah. run up and down that instrument. And therefore, you know, if you haven't started on finger four uh, or like you've gone over on three instead of four or something, then yeah, you're, you're, you're it's just going to... As in, you know, if you're playing a Mozart concerto, it's going to come out rubbish if you start on the wrong <laughs> finger. Yeah. Yeah. That's I remember right. that getting slower and slower. <laughs> One of my scales, I was like, I know I'm so far off, but rather than just try and get to the end, I just slow to all. <laughs> um, bam, bam, bam. Yeah, it was lovely. The flow, the flow <laughs> became a little stilted towards the end. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Do you find yourself writing very similar phrases? Like, oh, I keep writing that same phrase every time. Sometimes, yeah. Especially if you've got like, I've got a day of grade three pianos coming up. It's all grade three piano. Yeah. Oh. And, and it's, hard, it's harder. I mean, quite often you might have some students who might be all from the same teacher and, you know, teachers vary in quality as well as, and that's, that's really sad when you feel like this teacher has taught all these pupils the same mistakes. Um, yeah. that, that's really yeah. sad. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, it's actually, it's, you know, you're kind of practicing your creative writing as well, trying to find a different yeah. way of saying, yeah. okay, you've got the notes and the rhythms right, but there's not much music in here, is there? Yeah. <laughs> I bet you can have a right laugh at some of the accompanying that goes on as well. I'm just going to hold my hand up here and say that my accompanying of my pupils is absolutely diabolical. It. Yeah. Um, sometimes I get overconfident. I think I can get up to grade three, grade four quite safely. Go mm. beyond that. It's a flipping write-off, but that has to stop me having a go sometimes. Piano and is I, it's so not hard. Kind. <laughs> I've done a little bit of accompanying um, over over lockdown, and like when we were able to have um, um, people in our gardens after the first one, I, so I've got a digital piano that I put outside in the garden with an extension lead. So <laughs> sadly for me, the two <laughs> closest friends that I have who are musicians are both viola players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ever so sorry. (laughs) But actually, oh my God, we've played some amazing stuff. Like it's been lovely. But, you know, the amount of work there is, like on the hard piano parts, it was just, I've never worked so hard on piano as having to, to accompany, yeah, accompany people playing real instruments. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be pretty good at piano to be an examiner, right? Because like when I've done practice oral tests with kids oh, yeah. I'll play something through and I'll say at the end now what happened to the speed here and they'll go uh sort of slowed down a bit I'll go, oh so yeah well sorry it wasn't meant, it wasn't meant to do that <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's hard like because you've got to do they're really tricky yeah. things aren't they like like eight bars of hard piano stuff and then you've got to get all those details right so that then you've got to ask some questions they've got to get it right yeah it's really imp- like because you know if if you get something wrong especially if there's something related to the question you're asking you know you can't mark, can't mark them down that in the same way as they you know Brad you're talking about accompanists if the accompanist is yeah. rubbish that's not that child's fault you need to be able to, you know you're you're putting that to one side because yeah. you're just examining the child uh, right, or the yeah. candidate they may be an adult sometimes. Yeah, it could be an adult yeah like, yeah and <laughs> um, in their early 30s yeah. <laughs> doing grade six yeah, yeah. Um, cream egg in pocket ready for after oh yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. my mum used to always take me to kfc so. oh. oh 
I always go to McDonald's after um, if I've had like a little operation or pain clinic or something. It's like pretty much the only time I go to McDonald's. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well yeah. done, me. Like, yeah, you were very, you were very brave, bad, and a McDonald's. Yeah. What did you get at McDonald's? What's your uh, choice? Uh, chicken, uh, chicken McSandwich, actually. Yeah. Ooh. And then, well, I've changed recently because I used to have um, chicken, uh, so chicken sandwich meal. And drink would vary, but then a McFlurry. But then, mm. then I remember thinking, well, I could, I could amalgamate the drink and the McFlurry by just having a milkshake. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. But actually... But, uh, I thought there was a butt coming there. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, Are they not the most nutritious things? <laughs> I looked at, like, guess how many calories there are in a large McDonald's vanilla milkshake? 20,000. Oh, <laughs> Not far <laughs> yeah. off. Not quite. Yeah. Uh, it is 850, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And none of that is nutrition. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a post-race, ideal post-race scenario, I think. You need to oh, get one yeah. of them. That's yeah. a really good idea. Little On my treat. way back from Nottingham. Yeah. Oh, is it going to be in Nottingham, the trials? Are they there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, all, the international, sorry, all the national regattas are in Nottingham. Will there be yeah. rounds? Do you have to go through semis? And uh, there's just three. We're kind of do, we're adding up everyone's placement from three races on the, on, on the day. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if I get through to the Europeans, I've, um, there's um, I think there's like two heats, a semi final, and a final. It depends. Like sometimes there's a few percent fans and then final A and final B. Mm. But um, yeah, I'm trying not to look too far ahead. No. Yeah. Where yeah. where would the Europeans be? In Germany, which is oh. currently a COVID nightmare. So oh, we also, yeah. good ho. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Are you kind of looking, because I guess, well, obviously Tokyo, fingers crossed this summer's going to be going ahead. Are you looking to Tokyo or in your mind, are you looking towards Paris in 2024? Yeah, it's more more Paris, to be honest, because, mm. um, uh, well, so at the moment, there are at, at least three three women who are faster than me who are full-time funded athletes at Nottingham. And um, so the top two boats will get to go to the Worlds and from the Worlds, the one boat who will get to go to Nottingham will go uh, to Tokyo. Um, right. So unless like I suddenly become like five to ten seconds faster, that's not going to be me. Um, but um, yeah, you know, there is still there is. I still feel like I'm on quite a steep trajectory. Um, so you know, who knows? Who knows in the future? You know? Come yeah. on, <laughs> I, we want to come over and see you in Paris. I'm going to yeah. be there with you know. With a loudspeaker, in fact, if that's allowed. I'll be quite old by then, I think. Yeah. Although the gold medalist in Rio in, in like my discipline was 49 when she got the gold. So that, that's oh, so hope for us all. Yes. I'm recording on this. Okay. Three, two, one. Hey. Hi. Oh, that was good. That was brilliant, Klinos. I think we need to explain what's going are, on here. <laughs> we went back into our old old habits. Yeah, we, hey, that was great. But really what's happened in the meantime is that we've had a complete technical meltdown. Breakdown. And I think my microphone stopped working, which is annoying. Oh, God, really? Uh, well, my logic yeah. has. So I'm now on a phone flipping memo. In the meantime, <laughs> I've recorded a really strange little um, thing by myself because I thought we'd lost Seb completely. Yeah. Uh, so so now... 
and yeah. Zoom just kept crashing. It's just so great. great. Oh, I know. It's been one thing after another. Um, it, yeah. Oh, well. We've, we're back online in one form or another Versus now, so room, never you're, mind. You're away. I, can you see that I'm waving? <laughs> waving my arm i literally can't take anything else <laughs> nothing no else could go wrong extra now factors, please. no more well, <laughs> no hey, but that, um, chat? that was a really thanks. inspirational chat oh it was so great so mm. great she's amazing and i really really hope she goes to paris and i hope that we can watch her there paris would like, be really great i hadn't really thought about that you're, yeah. you're a massive olympics fan aren't you huge yeah. yeah i mean i used to get athletics weekly when as a child <laughs> um yeah 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 proper fully embracing the sadness of my (laughs) my uh sports fanatics fanas no what's the word anyway never mind get rid of that (laughs) i'm not i can no longer speak (laughs) oh (laughs) um oh hang on did i just hear a metronome yeah so now i'm recording on uh logic as well but that's no use to anyone so it doesn't matter (laughs) i'm just so fed up with technology go back to the the logic recording if you like what can we yeah if it's recording it's just that you would have missed that you would have just missed the first section of that really insightful outro that we've just done and then it will go into your other one okay just keep keep oh lovely and then we'll see okay great okay (laughs) Oh, what is it? Happy hold, Easter, Seb. Happy hold Easter. Hold the voice memo near your mouth, just in case. Still. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, if it's the first yeah. time you've listened to this show, then um, it's not always like this. We, we've usually got, got it quite no. sorted. Yeah. For a well-oiled machine, this is just, this is an anomaly, isn't it? This feels it? like, yeah, it feels like <laughs> the kind of season finale of lockdown technology. Like, we've finally... I really hope it is. Feels, yeah. Do you? Oh, well, I really, I can't, I, I don't want it to get worse than this. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think we can. Um, I think that's actually impossible. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's Easter, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, happy Easter. And another momentous thing, yeah. right? It is a special episode for us on so many levels, so special. Um, but we've been podcasting for a year. Hey. This marks a year of podcasting. So happy birthday, yeah. us. I didn't that. <laughs> Happy yeah. birthday, that's great. Yeah. Hooray. How many did we manage to it's get quite out incredible, in one isn't year? it? This is the 47th, isn't the, it? Four, 47th, but we've had a couple of bonus ones in there. Yeah. So unofficially, we're probably up to about 50. It's yeah. excellent, isn't it? That's not bad then. We've only taken off a couple of weeks over, yeah. over the whole year. Yeah. That's pretty I good. I know. Sterling effort. Yeah. We've chatted to some cracking people. It's been really, really fun. So, yeah. hooray. Yeah. Oh, that's been great. Well done. Well done for doing it with me. Well done. And well Thanks. done you. Yeah. Good. Well done. We'll do yeah. what, one more year I just and then stop. think it's so... Yeah, that's it. Done. Um, I, I feel like this is a sad way to mark it with me holding an iPhone and really reverting to the basics of technology. It's like I've learned nothing at all. No. We'll be recording mm. straight to a uh, wax cylinder before we know it, won't we? <laughs> Just... <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> well, uh, ah. so did we talk about anything in the show that people could check out more of? Could people... Uh... Ooh... I mean, just thoroughly get involved in the whole yeah. para-kayak, para-canoe team. Yeah. The sport's still on Do at it. Like four in the morning on, 
on telly on a Saturday morning. Oh, what trans world yeah. sport? Did you used to watch yeah, yeah. that? I love that show. Like, it was great. To go back to bed. <laughs> yes. I'm like, but, but how can you if you're watching a, a you know, watching a great game of kabaddi? You can't possibly no, no. turn in after that, can no. you? And um, <laughs> if I wasn't watching that, I'd be watching Seafax. Uh, with, with uh, me, and, me and my brother, we'd just watch Teletext and Seafax <laughs> dance around. All that stuff's gone. God, Seafax, what a great thing. Yeah. And Transworld yeah, Sport. I think people just watch YouTube if you want to watch some, some niche That's sport. such a shame. It was so good. That and like Pop World then. I loved Pop, Pop World. World. What with Simon Amstel. Yeah. That's, that was on a different different time of the, the that day. That was a Sunday morning. That was. <laughs> That was a bit further that, on on yeah. a Sunday morning after you've done Transworld Sport and a few cartoons. Oh, yeah. Good old days. Yeah. Was it good? Was it be- is it better now? Right, right in, tell us. Please do tell us. Hello at threeinabar.com. <laughs> yeah, we love your correspondence. Go on, send some uh, in. What else do we talk about? Nothing really. Let's, let's let people get back to their lives. Yeah, go on. Have enjoy this bank holiday weekend, and you know, I, if you're on your holidays, well, at home, have a lovely one. Yeah. Um, we are not going to be with you next week. <gasps> a little break, just for I know we have a little week off. Um, we, I think we, we are, aren't that? we? Yeah. Oh, no, not. I, I'm, I don't know. Please, <laughs> can we have a week off? Please, no. There we are. Tell you what, we have decided that. I know we had a week off a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I I'm actually moving into my house this week, and I I just um, I've had I've had a few like very very late nights because the carpets went in yesterday, which was very like mm. exciting and great. But two nights before that, that I was up exciting. to four a.m. painting, and then two a.m. next night. So oh god. Uh, I had about yeah. 4 hours sleep both those nights. I just slept today, listener, for 12 hours. <gasps> Amazing. Oh, uh, Amazing. Worse. You know you go you go too far. Yeah, I was going to say do you feel more tired yeah. as a consequence of that yeah, now? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But um oh, yeah, so dear. so uh got to do that, going to move in and that and that's, yeah. that's going to be a wonderful thing. And it is going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, so if it's all right with you guys, we're going to have a week off and then and mm. then the next week we're going to do some more interviews and that and then we'll be back yeah. on track and then uh be fine. It'll be all good. It's normal. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Normal service It'll be fine. Will, will resume. And <laughs> yeah. But you know, thanks for sticking with us over there. I think well, we've stuck with it too, haven't yeah. we? I mean, you thank thank you guys for listening, but honestly, I don't know how you've managed to get through this month of painting, decorating, all sorts plus podcasting. So, <laughs> well done for you for sticking well, thanks. with it. Thank you. I really can't wait. I'm, <laughs> I just want to have a couple of days off doing nothing. Yeah. Can't wait. Do it. Do it. Just lie on that carpet. Do the equivalent of that. snow angels. That. Yeah. You know. Did oh. you? Excellent. Oh, what a Frank. joy. I've not I've not in your newly painted room. It's very lovely. Have you had new carpets put down recently? Ever? Or, or... No. No. Not for a while. Not since we moved. I, we could really do with that. We've had a new <laughs> kitchen laminate put down. That's not quite the same thing. <laughs> it feels very cold. Um but new carpets. Oh, it's magnificent, isn't yeah, it? I, I love don't really that. I don't know if I've ever experienced that. It's a a wonderful smell. Yeah, it is. And uh, soft, very soft. Uh, Soft to the touch. uh, Cloud9 (laughs) underlay. 
that means anything to you? Oh, I think it's 12 mil. It does mean something to me. Yeah, it does. That's very luxurious, isn't it? Do you know that one? <laughs> I know underlays. I was going to say like the back of my hand, not like the back of my hand. Yeah. <laughs> Because I remember going through this same scenario moving in here. Ah. Umming and ahhing. Oh, it's a joy, isn't yeah, it? it is. I also laid some cork floor in my kitchen this week. Did you? And that was difficult. How did that go? It was fine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm it sure. Was good. It was good. It's like a tongue and groove one. So it, uh, you have to start in one corner uh, and then make, slowly make, make your way. But if you decide, like I did, to redo a bit in the middle, or oh, it's difficult, yeah. it's very difficult. Oh. And uh, I've basically I'm, I've slight, <laughs> slightly made it all a bit small because you meant to uh, account for expansion, and right. so th- there are some big big gaps at the edges. But I think it's okay. It's well, not to worry because I did it. <laughs> I didn't pay someone else to do it. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I I love it when you have to use that expression. Oh, it's charming. <laughs> it's got a certain charm. Yeah. <laughs> Any DIY or anything that I make, yeah. it's charming. Oh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited and glad this this period's over because it's just been like yeah. a crazy time. I've been mm. as, as I as I started saying in last week's episode <laughs> to David Taylor. When he asked me a completely different question, I just started saying, oh, yeah, I've just been living, you know, not in my own home. I've been living my, with my mother-in-law. And then I've been going and decorating, like, as much as possible, then just sleeping. And I, I've not been able to see my family. And I've, anyway, I've finally oh. done that bit. It's all over. I've just got Easter Amazing. weekend now. And then on Tuesday, we're going to start unpacking boxes and putting things away and living in our new home. So that's that's what I'm doing now. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful, don't, don't wonderful. Want to get too sentimental on a sun, on a Easter weekend, but <laughs> that's what I'm going through. It's always a danger. <laughs> so, well, look, and, this and, is wonderful. I've gone through the whole of Lent and I haven't eaten a single cream egg. It, no wonder you're feeling messed up. Yeah, that's my just, levels are wrong. That's not right. <laughs> levels are all off. They really are. Reset, reset. Um, have you got a stash ready to go? No. Unless I've been bought some today. Mm. Well, let's hope so. (laughs) Oh, by the way, did you have a lovely Uh, birthday? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I did have a... Thanks very much. I did have a lovely birthday. It was so great that like we can rule of six again so i had oh, five friends out in the garden i know it was lovely and thanks so much for my uh for my espresso martini cocktails oh, yeah. i haven't yet because i wanted to i nearly i very nearly had one at about 11 o'clock that evening <laughs> and literally i wouldn't have slept for the week but i'm really excited i'm going to do it <laughs> next week i'm gonna yeah. pick a day where i don't need to sleep <laughs> I love it though. It's amazing. It looks it looks terrifying and fantastic. Great. I'm glad, glad you got it. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was great. Hey, ne- next week is well, no podcast, but which I think no. we're not allowed in the pub yet, are we? The week after we are. No. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. oh, that's great. April the twelfth. April twelfth. Bring yeah. it on. Yeah. I'm, I've booked a haircut <laughs> to sort this out. Have you? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm trying. I'm desperately trying to track down my hairdresser. It's so, I need it so much. What, I mean, you haven't got a mass of hair. No, no I know, but it's, it's all the same length and it's all about an inch. Oh, I see. An inch long. <laughs> so it looks yeah. silly. 
looks silly. <laughs> so he's going to just sort me out. Oh. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, isn't it going to be a wonderful thing? I think I'm going to lose about two pounds when I cut this and <laughs> cut my hair off. It's so heavy. Oh, wonderful things. Right. I've got to go. Right. Let's let them go. Come on. And let you go and let I go. Yeah. I um, go. Have a great couple of weeks. Yes. April. Yeah. It's all happening. Right. All right. Bye, everyone. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, share, all that. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.